A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The New Statesman. I'm Rachel, and on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, I'm talking to Sam Friedman, former advisor at the Department for Education, all about private schools. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. You are sort of the expert on this topic. Uh, you're a special advisor to, to Michael Gove when he was at the Department for Education. And this topic seems to come around with surprising regularity in the political news cycle. What to do about private schools? Should the fees have taxes on them? Should we abolish them altogether? Labour's got a policy. Their policy has been in the news a lot lately. Could you first just take us through what it is that the Labour Party are proposing when it comes to independent schools and why you think they're doing this? Yeah, of course. Hello, everyone, and thanks for having me on. Welcome. Um, so <laughs> the Labour policy comes in in two parts. The first part is that they say they would remove charitable status from private schools, which would mean they would no longer be exempt from business rates, which businesses pay on their properties. At the moment, most of them only pay 20% of their business rates rather than the full amount. And that would cost private schools about £150 million a year. And then the second, probably more important, substantive part of the policy is that they say that VAT should be charged on fees for private schools. And we can get into the the numbers on how much this would raise in a bit, but it would raise, I think, between one and one and a half billion pounds a year, that policy, which is not in the scheme of a £60 billion school budget, a huge amount of money, but it's still substantive and something you can do something serious with. So it's not not to be sneezed at. So that, those are the two kind of different elements. And I think people sometimes get them confused. You could actually do the VAT thing without taking away charitable status. In fact, I think you could do all of it without taking away charitable status, because really all you need to do is change the tax rules rather than play around with charitable status. But anyway, that's the sort of thing that, that set off this sort of latest round of rows. So the, the general two camps on this are one that say that private schools, independent schools are entrenching privilege and they've got very high fees and most parents can't afford them for their children. Therefore, they shouldn't get any kind of preferential tax treatment at all. The other side, certainly the, the where the Conservative Party traditionally is in this argument, and certainly where Rishi Sunak has been over the past few weeks, is that uh, this is about aspiration. This is about parents wanting the very best for their children, wanting to give them the best education possible, and also pointing out that 
parents who send their children to private schools essentially pay for their kids' education twice, once in the form of taxation, general taxation, for the school places that their kids aren't taking up, and once in terms of the the, the very high school fees for the schools that they, they are taking up. Why is that not a good way of looking at it? I think it, it can get sort of very complicated and obviously lots of sort of British angst about class and all sorts of things get sort of tied up into the argument as it always does when you're talking about private schools. I mean, I think for me, the key point is that we need some revenue raises at the moment. Jeremy Hunt did his fiscal statement a couple of weeks ago. We're in a bit of a mess financially. This government, the Conservative government, is already raising a lot of a lot of taxes. Uh, you know, Labour might be looking at other taxes they want to raise to fund other sort of key priorities like the NHS. There's not a lot of easy ways to get money for priorities at the moment, and it's a pretty straightforward choice for me. Would you rather have one and a half billion pounds for the state sector to improve education for 94% of children who go to school, or would you rather keep a tax exemption for six percent of nearly all extremely wealthy parents who go to private schools? I'm not quite sure why it's such a toxic debate in a way. I mean, especially as most people in the country would would agree with the choices I've set it out. Well, the the point about people agreeing with it is interesting in that the polling all seems to show widespread support for Labour's policy. I think if I can get the latest poll figures up, do Britain support or oppose Britain's plans to remove charitable status from private schools, support 62%, oppose 13%. Now, obviously, you've mentioned that these two policies kind of get confused a bit and the VAT and the charitable status get conflated in people's minds. But it does seem that the general population is not as pro- private schools or the ability to send their kids to private schools as perhaps this Conservative government thinks. And we've had a column recently by John Oxley, one of our other columnists, pointing out that since Rishi Sunak himself was at Winchester, a very elite and expensive private school, the demographics of who can afford to send their children to these schools have changed. I mean, you mentioned that it's only 6% who currently send their children there. Has there been a shift between generations? Yes. So, I mean, if you look at what's happened with private school fees, they have doubled above inflation since since 2000. They've got a lot more expensive. They've gone up 25% in the last decade above inflation. And... Uh, that's priced a lot of people out, out of the market. People who you know, might have in previous generations been able to, to send their children out of their income, maybe GPs, academics, people who are sort of make up the elite uh, uh, of the country now can't really afford to do so unless they have family help, unless you know, grandparents are paying for it or they have some other source of revenue. And it has changed the composition of who's at private schools. The percentage hasn't really changed. It's, it's always been 6%, it's been 6% for decades. But over the last 30 years, you've seen a lot, a lot of people in finance and law get a lot richer and a lot of people in those kinds of professional jobs, medicine, academia, etc. Their incomes have either dropped or stayed roughly the same. And, and so you've seen a switch in the composition in private schools to being much more sort of people who make money in very specific sectors rather than that kind of slightly wider base, albeit amongst the professional and managerial group. And that I think has reduced, significantly reduced support for private schools amongst groups who previously might have been more supportive. One group who do appear to still use private schools are newspaper editors. I can't think of any other reason why the Times and the Mail and so on would be so vociferous on this issue because it's certainly not all their readers using it. But I imagine there are a few editors a bit grumpy about having to pay that. But but generally, it has completely changed the nature of the debate. Let's talk about the Mail in particular, since you just mentioned it, and their story that actually this 
policy wouldn't raise the money that Labour are saying it would because all you would do is get parents who are sending their children to private schools suddenly unable to do so. So they send their children to the state schools and then the state schools have additional demand and you have to pay more for those children as they're absorbed into the state system. Now, you wrote an excellent piece for the New Statesman on this, basically taking those numbers apart. Yes. So there's a bit of a zombie statistic that now gets passed out whenever someone wants to write a sort of pro-private school piece, which says that it would actually cost £400 million a year to, to put VAT on school fees because of the number of children who would go into the state sector. And this is based on a now four-year-old report by a company that essentially provide financial services to private schools. So I think fair to say they have a bit of a conflict of interest. You have to say there may be a conflict of interest there. It may be a conflict, allegedly a conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have a good relationship with private schools. Let's put it that way. And they have their own data because they provide financial services to private schools. They have a bunch of data from those schools. They used a sample of 21 schools, analysed that data, and, and basically just asked the schools how much they'd pass on to parents. Don't seem to have interrogated that at all or or wondered as to whether private schools would be completely honest about that. But anyway, they asked how much of the fee that the increase that would be passed on to parents. And then they looked at parent earning data and said, well, a bunch of these parents based on their earnings wouldn't be able to afford this sort of uplift. But of course, you know, a lot of parents don't pay for private schooling out of earnings. They pay for it, as I said, out of support from wider family. Otherwise, you 6% of people wouldn't be able to go. They're too expensive. And they don't seem to have taken that into account at all. But even if you believe those figures, it still made a, a sort of net revenue for the state. So then they had to add in a whole bunch of other kind of woo to, to make it produce a net negative. So they just sort of said, oh, another 30,000, 26,000 kids would stop going to private schools because the curriculum offer would get worse and some schools would close, which is so totally plucked out of the air, those figures. They're not based on anything as far as I can tell. And they sort of make some assumptions about new state schools having to be built, again, plucked out of the air. I don't think any new state schools would be would have to be built, in most parts of the country at least, because we're seeing a big drop in numbers in state school population due to birth rate declines. So all in all, it's a very, very unconvincing report. I mean, my, my view is, you, yes, you'd have a small number of people who went into the state sector as a result of a, of a rise in fees, but it would be marginal and certainly nowhere near those kinds of numbers. So you'd still raise easily over a billion pounds a year from the policy. What about the argument, just quickly, because I know that you have thoughts on this, if you look at your Twitter feed, that middle-class parents who might send their children to private school now simply buy a very expensive house in a catchment area of a good state school and kind of game the system by getting their kids into, into a good school that way, as opposed to doing the, I don't know, transparent and upfront thing of paying for the school directly. There's many problems with that argument. The first of which is no one here, well, I mean, I'm certainly not, and I don't think Labour are arguing either that people shouldn't do the best for their kids. People want to use a private school, they can use a private school. If they want to buy a house in a catchment area, they can do that. It would be crazy to suggest the state can sort of prevent parents from doing things in their children's interest. The point is, if you are, if you are in a privileged position and are able to spend a lot of money on doing that, you should pay tax on doing it. If someone buys an expensive house in the county area, they pay stamp duty. That's that's how it works, right? You buy a nice car, you go on a nice holiday, you pay tax on that. We're not saying you can't have those advantages. We're just saying we have a system whereby we you, we have a progressive taxation system. We need to pay for schools, the NHS, and all sorts of other things that the country needs. And if people can afford those things, then they're the ones who, who should be paying the most. And the same argument applies to private schools. But I do think there's a, something that goes beyond this, which is a real misconception, possibly by people who themselves 
have ended up using private schools for their own children, that states, there are only a few good state schools that, you know, you have to buy into an extremely expensive catchment area in a leafy suburb to get a good state education, which is, you know, if, if that was ever true, it's extremely outdated. The vast majority of state schools are rated good or outstanding by Ofsted. Even if you don't buy that um, measure, the vast majority of parents are happy with their, with their children's state school. We don't have a, a crisis in state education. Most children get an extremely good education. So this sort of belief that the middle classes have to fiddle the system to get something good out of it is just not true anymore. And when it comes to middle classes fiddling or not the system, Rishi Sunak, obviously, we know, sends his two children to, to private schools and he's very upfront about that. There was a male story recently about Keir Starmer sending his children to, this is a term that I'd never heard of, a state prep school. What, what was this story about? So I think this was the male trying to play into this sense of sort of angst about, as you say, well, it, we, we buy private schools and don't be critical of us because you are fiddling the system just in a different way and not being honest about it and being hypocrites. So I think it was trying to play into that kind of belief, which, as I just said, is kind of irrelevant anyway to this story. But but being the Daily Mail, it also was completely invented. I think by state prep school, they they sort of meant a sort of exclusive, you know, all wealthy, all elite parents. So even though it was free, it was still, you know, had that kind of social mix that you'd expect to find in a, in a private school. But, it, but I looked at the data and it's just not true. It's pretty much bang average and comprehensive in terms of its population. 20% of children eligible for the pupil premium, which is a little bit below the national average, slightly higher number who are eligible for SEND support, a special needs support, significantly higher than the national average for children who don't speak English as a first language. So it's nothing like a prep school in any conceivable way. So if you look through the story, there's actually zero evidence whatsoever for the headline claim. They don't even have the headline claim quoted by anybody. The entire story seems to be built around Giles Corrin not being able to get his child into that school and being grumpy about it and having to use a private school, which I am very, very sorry for Giles Corrin that he felt forced to use the private system, but I'm not sure it justifies a, a full page article. Well, we'll leave Giles Corrin to one side. <laughs> you obviously have decades of experience in the education sector in, in general. This is quite a small part of the issues facing education at at the moment. And it's important that we talk about it because it's become a kind of hot button political issue. But there are issues right now with teacher recruitment and teacher retention. There are still lots of challenges with whether children have caught up on the learning loss due to COVID and which children have caught up and which ones haven't. There are concerns over teacher pay and school funding, although it was given a boost in some statement. Putting the row over private schools to one side, what would you like to see the government doing when it comes to education at the moment to deal with all the other challenges that the sector has? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 indeed, as you say, there are lots of problems with education at the moment. And this is it's a bit of a sideshow. I don't think it's a complete sideshow because I think the money it would raise would help solve some of those problems, but certainly has a disproportionate level of discussion compared to some of these other challenges. Teacher recruitment's in a real, really bad place at the moment. I mean, I think there's part of a general labour market problem that we've got a lot of people leaving leaving the workforce who are a bit older in their 50s and 60s, retiring early or through illness. And that's left a bit of a hole in the workforce. And that's really hitting teacher recruitment. We've got some of the worst figures we've ever seen for missing targets, you know, 
physics, computer science, business studies, all sort of less than a third of the teachers we need have been recruited this year. And I think it it does need a more urgent response than we're getting from the government. Uh, The proposal I've made is that we get rid of tuition fees for anyone doing a teacher training qualification, especially given those tuition fees won't be paid back anyway. So there's no point charging them in the first place because teachers don't earn enough to pay back both undergraduate and postgraduate tuition fees. So it's sort of a, a policy that both acts as a barrier and doesn't raise any money. So I think there are things the government could do about it. I, I think it's caused, as I say, primarily by this labour market issue and by the fact that public sector pay has gone up so much less than private sector pay over the last year or two. You know, we're also seeing big shortages of workers in the NHS and social care and, and other sectors. So it's not, not confined to, to teaching. And the strikes are part of that. You know, we, you know, there will be some teacher strikes in January. And I think that that's a reflection of the fact that uh, teacher pay has dropped well below sort of equivalent graduate jobs in in the private sector over the last decade and, and even more so over the last two years. But the problem for the government is if they sort of give in to those demands and put pay up more, they have given schools a bit more money, but probably not enough to cope with a, a very substantial pay rise. So yeah, there's some really tricky issues around at the moment. And that's before we get to questions of curriculum, assessment, school accountability, all the sort of things that education policy wonks like to talk about. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So we've got a listener question on this topic, which is how much do private schools give out in bursaries to poorer children? And is that more or less than the cost of Labour's private school proposals, which I guess is quite important when you're thinking of, okay, it will raise some money to the Treasury, but are there other benefits that might get lost that we need to think about? So the Independent Schools Council collects some data on this. We don't know the financial value, but we do know that private schools between them Uh, There are about 40,000 pupils who receive some kind of means-tested support, uh, which is about 7% of of pupils in the the private sector. But the really critical bit of information here is that most of those receive support that's significantly less than 100% of fees. Only 5,500 pupils in the whole independent sector, which is less than 1%, receive full fee fee remission. And if you receive 50% fee remission, 
you still have to be extremely rich, right? So this kind of financial support, a lot of this financial support is actually going to extremely wealthy people by national standards. They're just not people who can afford the very high level of private school fees. The number of children from actually genuinely low income households going, given that you'd have to have 100% fee support, really, if you were from a sort of a free school meals family to, to go, is less than 1%. So it's absolutely marginal. Finally, we have noticed that we've been quite bleak on the New Statesman podcast in the last couple of months, uh, as as it seems like various aspects of our society and our economy are crumbling. Is there anything optimistic or anything positive that you think we should be thinking about when it comes to Britain's education system that you think sometimes gets lost beneath the, the doom and the gloom? There's a huge positive here. I mean, the way we're having this discussion, right? Like most parents, the vast majority of parents use state schools including the vast majority of the middle class, and they're happy with them. They like them. Why this, this, this sort of coverage that we're getting on the, on the private schools tax issue is so dissonant is actually there isn't a big concern about, about state schools anymore. You, know, you look back 15, 20 years, and there were you know, bog-standard comprehensives and you know, failing inner-city schools were common themes in newspapers. And now, even in the, in the Daily Mail or Daily Telegraph, it doesn't come up very often because it doesn't bear any relation to reality at all. State schools are good. People are happy with them. The results are, are sort of improving, albeit not as fast as everyone would like. And I think something that happened during COVID, you know, silver lining through COVID was schools really showed their communities how important they were to, to them. You know, they, they became the center of communities during lockdowns for, for many of the most disadvantaged families. So I think actually, right now at least, state schools are doing really well. Obviously, the risk is that teacher shortages, funding cuts in the future and so on put that in jeopardy. But This whole row actually shows how far we've come. Sam Friedman, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my guest, education expert, Sam Friedman. We're produced by Mae Robson, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.